0: But what happened with the last one that we tried to record, because it was four hours long, (laughs) and it was literally four hours long, um, Ableton just couldn't handle a clip of that size. So (laughs) it it just started um, corrupting it, and it kept going glitchy, and we were going at double speed and stuff, and it was just like, I did everything I could, and it just wasn't...
1: The sound quality was was rubbish anyway, let's be honest, because I was sat on a couch holding the mic myself.
0: Oh, were you? Yeah. Oh bless you. Where are you now? Are you at Tab Table?
1: I'm, a, I'm sur le Table, yeah.
0: Mm. It's one of those pieces of podcasting equipment you never think they'd need to mention.
1: You may need <laughs> a flat surface a, roughly <laughs> chest height. Yeah a table
0: of some description. Yeah. It'll be fine.
1: What we need is to get some of the um American American style news mics, you know, we can clip onto a T shirt.
0: Oh <laughs> just just chill out and mess about. Yeah. Yeah, basically. Hey up, I'm Joe Heathcote and this is Consistently Eccentric, a podcast where I will attempt to teach a friend of mine a lesson from British history, focusing specifically on the lesser known and less believable people and events that the history books tend to leave out. So let's get started with... This story begins about 33,000 years BCE, way back in the prehistoric long, long ago.
1: No, it's well, well evidenced and supported by many written sources. Then.
0: <laughs> I've, I've found the written sources in a cave in southern France. Now, uh, your three words to give you a clue as to what we're talking about.
1: Oh, God, I hope they're just like, ugh, ugh, ugh.
0: The story does not stay 33,000 years BC. That's more a jumping off point. Um, right. So your three words are sugar, church, honey,
1: honey. sorry,
0: <laughs> church, honey, honey, and compensation. Honey, oh. honey. <laughs> so sugar, church and compensation, anything spring to mind?
1: Um, no, no. <laughs> I'm trying to make a joke, but my, my brain is fried and, and all I keep thinking is there's something in there about the Tory party and growing cannabis, but I have no idea why my brain is going in that direction. Well,
0: <laughs> growing, growing's a good place to start with this. Oh, okay. So if, if you were going to grow one of those things, which might you grow?
1: Um, compensation no <laughs> sugar cane sugar beet I,
0: and where where would you grow your sugar um if you were a brit
1: oh under the ground
0: no in your, no in your beets no well yes but in, no, in, it...
1: in your colonies
0: well hey we're there. <laughs> All right, okay so we actually got close to the mark for the first time i think in a long while with the three Ooh. words that's good so it is believed to be about thirty five thousand years ago that the first humans made their way to the northeastern region of South America, that will become mm. known as Guyana.
1: Mm.
0: Over the millennia, two distinctive cultures developed. Those who were living on the coast, they were pretty chill, peaceful people, and they were known as the Arawak. Mm. And then inland, a little ways where it was a bit more harsh, and you had to you had to um, try try a bit harder to subsist. Uh, there was the warlike Carib people. Uh. Now, they both developed separately um, and eventually the Carib people looked at the Arawaks living on the coast and thought, why can't we live there? (laughs) And so they decided that they would just start living there. And any time the Arawaks kind of complained about that, they hit them with sticks and then later with more and more sophisticated weapons, slowly expanding their territories and pushing the Arawak further and further out from from where they'd started out. Now, luckily for the Arawak, they were on the coast and stretching out from that part of the South American coastline was a set of islands. So you've got the Antilles, which form a nice big arc round to Cuba and eventually sort of almost joining up to the wang of America that is Florida. (laughs) So the Arawak, they began populating the lesser Antilles, so that's Trinidad, Tobago, Barbados, amongst others. Nice places to live.
1: What we now call the Caribbean.
0: Possibly. Well, you (laughs) see, the thing about it was the Caribbean people, they'd taken over the coast and they were loving it. And then they they looked across to these islands and they saw the (laughs) Arawak people having a lovely time (laughs) on these islands and they thought, (laughs) maybe we want those as well.
1: It's hilarious to me that, like, you know, it's just classic humans, isn't it? There's the warlike arseholes... Who, who can't get along and, like, need conflict to, mm. to, to to justify their existence. And then there's the peaceful people who just, like, sort of get on with things, <laughs> having the nicer life, getting always beaten up by the warlike people who are like, I want your nice life, I will take it by force. Why can't I have a nice life? Ah! That's the, the, that pretty much what was going on here. The ultimately self-defeating nature of humanity, as expressed by two Native uh, American peoples. Yeah. So just just to show you that like people are crap the world over really. Well, <laughs> if 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 they'd been the dominant culture and had come over to Europe and had, you know, exterminated the white the the, the northern Europeans, then things would still be crap. It would just be crap in a different way.
0: <laughs> well, you know, you say that that is the human condition. It's not the condition of the Arawak people because when yes, when, the when the Caribs <laughs> when the Caribs started invading the Lesser Antilles, yeah. they said, "Okay, We'll move on. And they moved on to the greater Antilles, which is islands like Jamaica, Cuba, and Puerto Rico. So they – well, basically what was happening was a very, very slow um, – Northern migration. Yeah, migration Island that was being totting. forced. And you get the feeling that eventually uh, they would have ended up being pushed all the way round back to mainland America again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: Straight across the Gulf of Mexico. And
0: if you'd left it long enough, they probably would have travelled straight across Northern America. And today we'd be talking about the Carib people slowly forcing the Arawak out of Canada and into... um,
1: The Arctic Circle.
0: Up into the Arctic Circle with the the Arawak still going, look, it's cool, man. We can literally live anywhere. We're fine.
1: We just go with the flow.
0: If we've learned anything over these last 33,000 years, it's just chill. (laughs) Uh, and by the 16th century this slow migration the Carib had conquered all of the Lesser Antilles so they followed them all the way around the Lesser Antilles and they looked poised to begin their invasions of the bigger northern Caribbean islands when they were rudely interrupted by some Spanish people (laughs) the Spanish people had sailed across the Atlantic Ocean and they looked at all of these lovely little islands and these nice big continents and they just started claiming things left right and centre that's mine
1: that's mine now.
0: Your ancestral homeland. I've licked it. It's mine.
1: Yes. I mean that that's how Europeans do mm. or well, did.
0: So much like the Carib before them, the Spanish found the Arawak pretty easy to beat in a fight and they quickly claimed ownership of all the islands that had been home to Arawak settlements. So all of, you know, like Cuba, Puerto Rico, all of the all of the Greater Antilles. All the places
1: that nowadays speak Spanish. Yeah. <laughs>
0: However, when it came to Guyana and the islands that the Carib controlled, yeah. The Spanish took a look, saw this heavily militarized
1: population. Who, who were used to killing to get what they wanted. Yeah, want.
0: they also looked at the potential um, sort of natural resources on these Lesser Antilles islands and the sort of north uh, eastern coast it, of.
1: It's not worth shipping out hundreds of soldiers to make this possible compared to what you could gain from these idiots who are just going to give it away, kind of
0: Pretty they. much, they thought it, it. There's no point in us spending a lot of resources. Yeah. Um, Intercontinental
1: warfare was a much a much bigger deal in terms of <laughs> how much it cost and how long it took. Back then, yeah.
0: When when I say when I say they didn't um, you know invade Guyana. Yeah. That doesn't go to mean that they didn't claim it. Yes. They said it was theirs. They just, they just didn't go claim, there yeah. or uh, in any way try to suppress the native population. What they did do however mm-hmm. was they had a chat to some Dutch people and they sold Guyana to the Dutch in the Treaty of Munster in 1648. Hmm. The Dutch, they went there expecting, well, the Spanish were saying it was their territory.
1: They were expecting some sort of level of development, maybe a governor, that kind of
0: thing. (laughs) They were sadly mistaken, but they made the best of a bad job
1: (laughs) they, <laughs> of course they did the dutch hey it's not so bad you know
0: <laughs> they fought the native carib people and they managed to eke out a small area uh, where they could establish some plantations to grow tobacco you know, I, I don't think they in terms of what they gave away in order to get this area i don't think they ever recouped their losses on this but they had to try and at least you know Make back some of some yeah. of what they'd what they'd given away I mean, in order the, to
1: have this access. They were playing with one hand tied behind their back. At the, at the, at the time this was going on, the Spanish were like the the big boys of Europe, weren't they? So I can't see them ever agreeing to a deal that wouldn't be favourable to them anyway.
0: <laughs> to be fair to the Dutch, they were like, well, what we have here is we have a native peoples and we have ground that we think we can grow tobacco in. So they sort of cleared all the ground, planted the tobacco
1: cleared all the people
0: <laughs> no 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 they didn't clear all the people they press ganged the people into the life of indentured farmers
1: oh i mean sorry of course slavery uh, much better no no
0: no yeah, indentured sorry. farmers under the guise of you know we're, we're civilizing you we're making yeah. things better for you you know how you were slowly taking over all of these tropical paradises
1: yeah
0: no now you can now you can grow tobacco
1: for us <laughs> uh,
0: now they weren't particularly happy
1: these, and, these being Carib indentured servants.
0: Yeah. The Carib indentured servants, they were not happy about this turn of events. And it also didn't help that they were dying uh, quite a lot from the diseases that the European overseers had brought across with them.
1: <laughs> hey, it's just a bit of syphilis, man.
0: <laughs> why, why are you so crazy? <laughs> Actually, syphilis went the other way.
1: Oh, yeah. That no, came, it didn't from, it I I came from America. Hey, it's just a bit of smallpox, man.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Some would say a lot worse because, you know, you didn't have to actively have sex with someone to get smallpox. Yeah. Uh, so you could say the syphilis was brought on themselves, but yeah, I'll, either I'll way, brave, <clears throat> brave, pioneering
1: Dutch forefathers. <laughs> either,
0: either way, these these poor Dutch farmers, they'd set up a system, and then they'd seen their workforce die. And um, those who hadn't died, the Carib people, mm. wisely decided that what they'd do is they'd retreat back to the ancestral home of the interior of South America and try and avoid these crazy white devils who were, you know, trying to trying to make things better for them by making things a hell of a lot worse.
1: I mean, that's that's the meme, isn't it? It's, uh, it's that picture from Pocahontas where somebody going, these white people are dangerous, and underneath it just says, sum up global history. <laughs>
0: well, luckily for the Dutch, though, the same... <laughs> sum up
1: global history, sorry.
0: Uh, <laughs> l- luckily for the Dutch, the same um, treaty that they'd signed uh, that gave them Guyana also had a clause in it that allowed them to buy slaves from Portuguese slave traders for the first time. And within the decade...
1: Oh, boss. <laughs> what a big win for everyone.
0: It was, it was a big win for the Dutch, because within a decade, they'd was managed it? to bring over 2,500 or so African slaves who were working on their plantations in Guyana. Right. So, <laughs> at this point, the last of the Carib people... Uh, around 5,000 decided that this was the point to to get going while the going was good. They weren't being press-ganged anymore. They were kind of being ignored, and they they took the chance to retreat. It's uh, Back in the jungle. Back in the jungle, lads, while they're not looking. Um, So...
1: Reject white people. Embrace jungle.
0: So, after a century of importing Africans to be worked to death on the plantations, the Dutch were surprised... (laughs) When in 1763, the Babi Slave Uprising took place. Ooh. It was led by a man called Kofi, and 3,000 Africans actually managed to take control of more than half of the plantations. Wicked. And in doing so, they forced over half of the white population to flee the country entirely. Yeah. And there is a really good chance that this uprising would have been wholly successful. Unfortunately... There happened to be some British forces in the area, and they saw this as an opportunity and offered the Dutch assistance to put down the uprising. It's free land. But No, all they asked for in return was that the Dutch would allow a couple of British settlers to move in and set up some sugar plantations. Uh, they said, you know, how about this bit, the Demerara region? Could we just set up a few <laughs> sugar plantations in this little region of Guyana? We won't be any trouble. You've, you've got a problem, we can solve it, and we're, we're charging reasonable
1: rates. <laughs> so... Just, you know, let us insidiously insidiate our way in. Yeah, Insidiate's yeah. not a word, but
0: well, no, short. No, it was, it was all above board. It was, you know, this is a gentleman's agreement. We, as, a, as a fellow colonial power, we see you've got a bit of an issue here. We're so happy well. to, to extend the hand of friendship, <laughs> European to European, to sort this out for you.
1: Why do I I just instantly get the sinking feeling that the phrase perfidious Albion is about to rear its ugly head? It's actually one of my favourite phrases from history, that (laughs) is. There's one country out there that you've got to watch out for. Who is it? It's the ones that are really polite.
0: (laughs) They don't mean any of it. So anyway, by 1781, the Dutch and British were at war over control of the region.
1: (laughs) Course. like I said gentlemen's agreement <laughs> what, what follows the English around <laughs> <laughs> well
0: Britain won but the weakened forces only held the territory for a few months before the French swept in to take control those damn French yeah but while the French and the English were fighting the Dutch had taken a breather and they retook <laughs> Guyana in 1784 they then held it until Napoleon decided to invade Holland in 1795 and Britain took advantage of the recall of troops to take the colony for a second time.
1: Right. So, hold on, let me get this straight. So, because of because the Dutch being a smaller power, they've recalled all of their forces from all around the world?
0: They, to, they recalled a defend. significant
1: amount, yeah. Right. And um, uh, us being less involved in, your, in Napoleon's continental adventures at the time? <laughs> only, yeah, a little bit less involved at that point. I mean, yeah, but if, if he was if he was still in Holland, that was before he went to Portugal, which means that we hadn't got Wellington involved yet. So,
0: yeah, oh, I I found <laughs> out what Wellington was up to in India recently at this particular, po- amazing. He's not a nice person. <laughs> he is not a nice person, but you know he he has a he has a tactic. He has one tactic. Kill them all. (laughs) Well, you you have the feeling that if people were able to study tape back then, the way they are now in sporting events, he wouldn't have been quite as successful as he was. (laughs) In in the space of, you know, just over a decade, uh, Guyana had been in the possession of the Dutch, the British, the French, the Dutch again, and the British again. And there were a few more changes of ownership. Hmm. Um, Though, of course, this never included the indigenous Arawak or Carib peoples. Um, until finally, in 1814, the Dutch formally withdrew their claim. Britain was now (laughs) in sole control of a large part of Guyana. Obviously, they were as surprised about this as anyone. They just wanted those few plantations. Um, (laughs) I swear,
1: dear boy, it was all about the sugar.
0: (laughs) They were very happy to take control of the lucrative, slave-worked plantations that were contained on that on, by 1814,
1: weren't we, like, anti-slavery? Or was that a bit later? Oh, we'll get into that. Oh, right,
0: okay. In fact, we'll get into that right now. Because yeah. although it had been made illegal for British people to trade in slaves in 1807, mm. you were still allowed to keep the slaves you already owned.
1: Ah, uh, so by coming into possession of a whole bunch of slaves. yes, because also,
0: the other bit of that loophole was anyone born into slavery was also allowed to be kept as a slave. Which seems very cruel because you have this
1: group. So, in theory, you could forcibly breed slaves,
0: like, you know. In just theory, keep, but keep slaves. Practically, you didn't have to because you had these communities that you were keeping separate from the white people anyway. So they were very insular communities, right? Um, so it, and they yeah. had very little in terms of entertainment or things that they could do.
1: And they were breeding anyway. Is essentially what, what you're saying. It, I mean, that sounds. You, you know what I'm saying. I'm not, I'm it not, was. Like, it was the
0: one small. Uh, you know amount of joy that they could take in
1: life yeah I'm not, I'm not trying to dehumanise them by saying that yeah. you know what I mean
0: I do so that that was the problem yeah. was if if the entire population they were, they population, were, they were trapped, basically being yeah.
1: slaves forever and producing more and, like their children would become slaves the, you know
0: and the, so on. there was a there was a, an opportunity if they'd have all said no do you know what we're all going to be chased and we're all yeah. going to allow our family lines to die out because then there will be no more slaves but Actually, practically yeah. asking someone who has nothing to yeah. forego one of the few oh, yeah. pleasures yeah. in their There's life, especially
1: is... especially zero basic education, like oh yeah, know, mo- moral positions and philosophy don't arise in, in a vacuum.
0: <laughs> well, that also comes up um, quite soon after this. So, oh, well,
1: there
0: you go. At about the time the British were consolidating control of the region, a born
1: slave. <laughs> it's eighteen twelve. The British were consolidating control of the sea. <laughs> Everywhere of all was the their regions, region. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so
0: they were also consolidating this particular region. Uh, a born slave by the name of Jack Gladstone was 18 years old and struggling to come to terms with the whole being owned by another human being thing. His father was a carpenter called Kwamina, who was held in very high regard by the other slaves on the plantation where he worked, which, as a bit of a kick in the teeth to all of those slaves, was named Success. So he worked on the Success Plantation.
1: <laughs> this is an Arbeit Max Fry vibe there, isn't it?
0: Well, Kwameena, he'd made the best of it. He was a deacon at the Missionary Chapel, which had been set up on the neighbouring plantation, and he'd been taught to read and write by the Reverend John Smith.
1: God, the human spirit is just ridiculous, isn't it? <laughs> like, that's the worst part. Like, if, if humanity had a tendency to give up and die out, things would actually be a lot better. Because we'd have long ago realized that, it, you know, we don't persevere through adversity. Therefore, you have to make things better. <laughs> but because we keep on persevering through adversity, people—the crappier end of humanity—have license to just keep making things terrible. Because well, they survive. <laughs> well, he was—he
0: was trying to make things better. Was Kamina because he taught his son Jack to make barrels so his son was a cooper and as a result jack was able to enjoy a greater degree of freedom than the slaves who worked in the fields so he didn't have as much oversight he was considered to be you know a skilled tradesman yeah, a as skilled, to a skilled laboring. slave instead of uh, a field working slave so he had certain um, benefits to that that his dad had given him
1: yeah in demand so he probably could travel to other plantations what needed barrels making mm-hmm. and such
0: now amazingly for a, for a, you know an a, a civilising force like the British. Uh, the plantation owners had been completely against allowing the slaves to become Christians or to learn to read and write. They didn't want that to happen. They argued that this might make them, you know, this, this ability to, to read different texts and to sort of start to form opinions might help the slaves to see themselves as entitled to things like dignity and maybe even freedom, which would be terrible yeah
1: uh, imagine, the, imagine the profit margin
0: well it jesus. would only lead to issues wouldn't it yeah. ultimately there'd be some difficult conversations down the line if that happened um
1: <laughs> someone might have to say sorry <laughs> jesus christ what a, what a terrible thing
0: <laughs> but eventually because the abolitionist movement was growing at home and there was more scrutiny of what was actually going on in the colonies um they relented, and they hoped that by allowing a church and a few other concessions, they wouldn't have to start doing really radical things like paying the workforce. So it was one of those, only when the gun was literally held to their heads would they give the tiniest concession.
1: Yes, that, that tends to be how the bastards of history work. We, we don't seem to learn this lesson. <laughs> nice people.
0: Now for the most part, the slaves who were working on the plantations in Demerara, they were content to pursue non-violent means of improving their conditions. Mm. They were uh, appealing to the sympathetic um, members of the white settlers to make representations for them in Parliament. So they would pass their stories on to um, the abolitionists who would come out to visit and would hope that by those people going back and telling the story, eventually um, change would would happen.
1: Justice by the long route.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jack himself wasn't particularly bothered about um, the abolitionist movement at this point. He was 18. He had other things on his mind. In fact, he got married in 1812 at the age of 16 to a slave on the neighbouring plantation of Le Resouvenir. (laughs) And that's how I'm going to pronounce it. It's R-E-S-O-U-V-E-N-I-R. So as far as I'm concerned, it's Resouvenir.
1: R-E-S. Good, do that again. O-U-V. O-U-V.
0: E-N-I-R.
1: E-N-I-R.
0: And I'm saying it's Resouvenir,
1: resouvenir, yep.
0: So, a neighbouring plantation, he met a, a lovely girl called Susanna, and he was good looking, six two, and his position of relative privilege made him seem like quite a catch. <laughs> Unfortunately for Jack, as with all slaves, he was forced to live apart from his new wife because they were owned by different people. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, uh, it's,
1: it's purely logical. In crazy world.
0: You know they'd been good enough, the two plantation managers, to allow them, them to married. marry, yeah. uh, and they were allowed to meet up on a Sunday.
1: Good God, it's like letting your chair marry your fridge.
0: But they they weren't going to allow them to live together.
1: Yeah, of course. Uh, of course, I wouldn't let my chair live in my fridge. There you oh, go. My chair needs to be in his dining room, in it, sorry, in the living room, and my fridge needs to be in the kitchen, otherwise, my life is affected.
0: Well, the other problem was that, um, you know, as good as Jack's position was, it wasn't quite as good as the position of the manager of Le a uh, John Hamilton. Oh. And he decided he quite liked Susanna too. Uh, oh and he wanted to take her as a mistress. Right. So, th- so he did.
1: Because he's a white dude.
0: He was a white dude. Yeah. He was a white plantation manager, and he decided that although these two people had um, joined themselves in the sanctity of marriage, a Christian uh, institution that he apparently was trying to uh, extol on these yeah, peoples I mean, who... Know. The entire argument went, these people aren't civilised enough.
1: Uh, to, to civilise them.
0: Yes. Yeah. So he, he decided to go against the sanctity of marriage and forced really Susanna... to teach out. them
1: a good lesson. <laughs> yeah.
0: Because... Susanna, in this situation, is put in an impossible situation. She can either remain faithful to her husband, and who she get, gets to see once a week.
1: And probably get beaten up.
0: Yeah, and have all the negative things happen yeah. to her that he can do uh, in a position of absolute power over her, or she can Go consent to something that, let's face it, was probably going to happen anyway.
1: It, uh, yeah. And How unpleasant, but yes. Yeah, have a
0: certain <laughs> amount of hopefully for her comfort. I, I hope she got something out of this arrangement.
1: Yeah. Um, Would it surprise you if she didn't, though, let's be honest? Well... Like, I doubt he gave a toss.
0: In the end, the the um, workers on both plantations found out about it and they gave Susanna um, an ultimatum, basically. You either end the relationship with, the, um, with John Hamilton or you'll be excommunicated from the congregation and shunned by all of the other slaves and
1: because they took their christian faith seriously Yes.
0: Yeah, uh, and... how
1: how how sort of ironic sort of ironic Unf- you know i know she's in an impossible situation but there's there's something weird there isn't there
0: <laughs> and well it was also solidarity um i think you know the idea that you're you're going against all of we're all together in this together uh, right, and yeah, you're yeah yeah
1: yeah you're you're by yeah, we disagree in general with the idea of us being Things for them to play with, and mm. you're you're yeah. playing into that narrative kind of thing.
0: Yeah. But she she made the decision that even though she would be excommunicated, she she continued with the relationship, and uh, her and uh, Jack got a divorce. Now, Jack Jack did get married again, yeah. but he himself was unable to remain faithful to his new wife, and it may be that he was unable to control his urges, or you know, uh, being... no,
1: no, no, nobody gets that excuse. That, that excuse doesn't exist.
0: Well, I was going to say being kind to him. It may just be that it's, you know, the entire institution of marriage rings a bit hollow when you you have to live separately to your wife. You could be sold or transported somewhere else at any moment. And the last time you got married, uh, your wife was just claimed by another person as a piece of property and you were powerless to stop it.
1: Yeah, and she, despite us not knowing the exact circumstances, you know, probably from his point of view, went along with it willingly. You know? Mm. Like, Even though really probably he's stuck. probably equally as Yes, yeah, I'm sure. But like condition. but like, you know, given that he's not seeing her very often to like talk these things through <laughs> he's probably, you know, in a situation where there's high emotions and stuff you tend to sort of create your own narrative, <laughs> don't <Yeah>. you?
0: <laughs> That's the, I think that is a very human human condition. Yeah. Yeah. No, this all has to make sense to me and it's yeah. all being done to me. Yes. i'm not I'm not just a poo stick in the river of fate
1: <laughs> <The log>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well e- either way, whether Jack was um just not able to remain faithful due to the fact that he was a bit of a jack the lad or whether it was that he'd become completely disillusioned with all these nice institutions, he also started to become more interested in the abolitionist cause. Convincing himself that the 1807 ban on the slave trade and the opening of the church in 1808 were signs of an inevitable push for emancipation that could come at any moment, so well, I he mean,
1: hopefully <laughs> when we get there, we'll let you know. <laughs>
0: unfortunately, the only thing that matters more than the dignity of human life is money, and money talks. Because in 1823, the slave owners, led by the owner of Success Plantation himself, Sir John Gladstone. Uh, managed to convince Parliament to pass regulations to ameliorate slavery rather than to emancipate slaves, which was basically in order that the slave owners had to provide a basic standard of living for their slaves, including no work beyond 9pm, no flogging of female slaves, and a few other bits and bobs. So, again, it was that we will appease you, the minimal that we can get away with.
1: Yeah, the cheapest possible way. I As think... In-
0: they, they knew it was coming that, you know, abolition would eventually happen. But they were thinking the longer we can eke this out yeah. with, a, with a, a healthy profit margin, the better for us. So we're just going to do everything to slow the process down. We're going to challenge everything. We're going to offer bad faith um, sort of concessions. We're going to do mm. everything we can.
1: So basically they were Republicans.
0: Well, Yes, um <laughs> well, what do I why did I pause? Yes, they're Republicans, so this was the slave owners themselves who managed to negotiate this amelioration um and the order was sent out to the governors of all of the colonies where slave um working was still practiced, yeah. including the Governor of Demerara, a man by the name of John Murray on July seventh eighteen twenty three now unlike the governors of the other colonies who were sent this amelioration sort of statute
1: Mm.
0: murray chose not to implement the new regulation straight away and he put it off for a month specifically so that he could discuss the matter in detail with all of the plantation owners about whether they really wanted to do this and even when he accepted that the new regulations would have to be implemented he didn't bother to make a public announcement um to, to let you know The slaves who were going to benefit from these amelioration, um, you know, changes, no. The British had, of course, forgotten that their households were full of indentured slave workers, Uh, and these slaves could hear things. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my god! And they picked up bits (laughs) of the conversations from that were going on behind closed doors, and because they weren't being fed any actual official information, they come to the conclusion that the orders from Parliament that they kept hearing about Which were... freedom, to free them, of yeah, course. That the British were, you know, had been ordered to free all of the slaves with immediate effect.
1: Oh, dear.
0: So what, what you have now is you have a group of privileged white people who don't want to tell the slaves that they have to let them stop work at 9pm. And not flog the women. Yeah, and because they wouldn't just tell the slaves this and just start to follow these minimal concessions the bits of hearsay that that the slaves that are, you know, hearing, they've added it up and said, well, the only reason they will keep all of this so hush-hush is because they don't want to tell us that we're free men now. Yeah. They don't want to lose their labour. Jack Gladstone definitely heard the rumour, and he was immediately sure that it must be true. It fitted perfectly with his worldview that this was an inevitability and it was coming sooner rather than later. Uh, and as a result, he wrote an open letter to the congregation of the church Informing them of the new law that had given right. them freedom and critically didn't exist, um, though he had a reputation as a bit of a wild man, um, he was a womanizer, he would tell tall tales, um, he was very opinionated. I imagine that if if you see, met him see, too- the, way, the way you describe
1: him, he's like that like, what I'm seeing is the rock from when he was a wWE wrestler. <laughs>
0: <laughs> either that or the guy when you go into a bar who is at 6, yeah, yeah. 6 p.m already wobbling uh, and I just, to,
1: sorry, sorry.
0: <laughs> yeah everything is a definite statement and another thing <laughs> but he knew that he had this reputation he mm. needed he needed to add a pattern of respectability to this claim
1: Right, so he, I'm guessing he forged a signature
0: he forged his father's signature,, uh, um because his father was a deacon at that church, his no. father was an upstanding member of society, his father didn't drink you know he, if if Jack Gladstone was saying it, no jack's you know he's he's just wishful thinking again, but if his dad says it, mm, no. we might believe this, so Jack and some other slaves decided that they would need. In order to encourage the British to actually reveal the fact that they were free men, they'd need to stage a rebellion. Yes, of, of course, course it, w- it wouldn't be a rebellion because they were already technically free men. So yeah, well, yeah, I get they that. were. I they guess. were I'm going to it. I'm it. stage a non-rebellion to get Governor Murray to admit the thing that they knew was true, that wasn't actually true. It's more like a
1: violent protest.
0: A violent protest, yes. So, well, actually, not all that violent because leaders from the Seven Plantations confirmed their plans on the evening of the 17th of August, so 10 days after Murray had revealed the secrets of the plantation owners. um, It only took 10 days for the slaves to decide that they were being disingenuous and to plan a rebellion. Mm. Um, They decided that they would rise up against their masters the following morning. Now, Quamina, who was probably a bit miffed that his name had been put to this damn thing, Mm. he tried in vain to convince them to wait for the law to be announced. He said, it's probably probably just a bureaucratic snag they will announce the law let's not do something stupid you know yeah. we want we we've fought so hard to be considered to have humanity yeah. and to be reasonable people we don't want the day before they were going to announce it to maybe stage some kind of coup uh, and yeah and they have get it ripped away yeah, yeah. um but they were having none of it
1: Everyone was so,
0: so wanting to finally be told they were free, that they were like, no, we're doing this. So he managed to convince them uh, to make the uprising non-violent and urged no white people should be hurt. You know, if we do that, if we hurt one white person, Yeah, the anvil
1: that's going to get dropped on us is not going to be a light one.
0: (laughs) So, with that stipulation in place, early the following morning, rebel slaves entered the estates of plantation managers collecting up all the weapons that they found and tying up the families. Though when they came across some overseers who'd been particularly sadistic, um, they sometimes put them in stocks instead because, of course, there were sets of stocks all over the place. Um, and it looked like things were going well. It, you know, there'd been no um, sort of Proper resistance items. because yeah. nobody had tipped off um, the, the plantation owners. Or had they? <laughs> because okay. unfortunately, two things occurred that Jack and the other leaders hadn't planned for. Firstly, only 37 plantations took part in the rebellion, which is about 13,000 slaves altogether, mm. with the majority of slaves and the majority of plantations not wanting to get involved. And uh. second, the governor, John Murray, had been made aware of the plan and had decided to go hyper aggressive.
1: Of course, I mean, you do surprise me. The, the guy who flouted the law because he couldn't stand the thought of giving those damn non-white people, you know, evenings off. <laughs> wanted to kill a load of them for no real reason. How surprising.
0: So the same morning that the rebellion started, he uh, declared martial law, like I said, and sent a cavalry regiment to hunt down the slaves. Excellent. They ended up meeting with the slaves at a place called Bachelor's Adventure, and this <laughs> this happened three days after the start of the rebellion. So they took so they their sweet to time. <laughs> yeah, they took <laughs> their sweet time to find this rebellion. Either that, or you know, without the telltale signs of looting and things being burned down and and dead bodies, it was quite hard to find such a peaceful rebellion because <laughs> they were going and leaving everything nice, and there were no telltale signs of destruction that might lead them to you. So they met at Bachelor's Adventure after three days. First, the leader of the cavalry regiment, he offered to take the slaves' grievances to the governor to have a little discussion about it, and the slaves said, no. We don't think that that man (laughs) would listen. I don't know what it is, but there's some things that he's done that just just make us think that he might not (laughs) be the person to negotiate a peace.
1: Um, I'm, I'm not saying anything is going to get put on record, but we don't trust that
0: guy. Yeah, so the, the leader of the cavalry, he umdenard about it. Oh, okay, right, what's, what's my second option? Uh, and his second option was to open fire <laughs> on the nearly 3,000 practically unarmed slaves. <laughs> because right. that's the way that British do diplomacy. 250 yes. slaves were killed immediately, and the rest wisely fled.
1: hmm into the jungle
0: Mm. um I don't into the plantations um although that was the largest confrontation it was typical of the tone of the three days of rebellion slaves would utilise non-violent means of protest soldiers
1: would turn up and shoot them
0: yeah they would be fired upon and then they'd run away with the slightest provocation indiscriminately uh yeah, by the white people who, drug. to be fair to some of the white people, they were probably only just waking up to the realization that they were outnumbered twenty to one by these people that no. they had been subjugating for you know no. decades.
1: You don't, you don't, you don't get credit for that. <laughs> you know, it's it's quite clear that that system only flies on violence and wants violence. I'm stops giving being
0: them enough. no credit. I'm just to try and understand why they would uh, hairs. You know, they were on hair triggers. They realised just how tenuous the grasp on power
1: was. The fragile little society of of nonsense, yes.
0: So, after crushing the rebellion, Mm -hmm. because, you know, that's going to crush a rebellion when the other side are dedicated to non-violent protest, the governor put out a reward for the capture of the leaders. Named in this list was Quamina, despite because the fact... Because
1: of the flipping letter, yeah. yeah.
0: that he hadn't wanted anything to do with it. John Murray was convinced that he was the ringleader because it was his name signed at the bottom of the letter. And it was the letter that a slave had brought to him as evidence that there was going to be a rebellion.
1: There's always a quiz, like. mm.
0: Quimina was captured and killed on September the 16th and his body was hung in chains on the road to Success Plantation to act as a warning. Again, success. You've killed a (laughs) God-fearing, peace-loving...
1: Deacon, who argued expressly at all times against violence.
0: (laughs) Well done. You've really... You've sent... I don't think it's the message you intended to send, but you have definitely sent a message with that. Oh, yes. (laughs) Jack himself had been captured on the 6th of September. But he had his sentence commuted to deportation, I said that in a weird way, to deportation to St Lucia, where he disappeared from history.
1: <laughs> wow, I mean, he kind of goes down as, like, a massive failure of a, of a, of a reformer, really. Mm.
0: <laughs> the, the saddest bit about it is, you know, he he was convinced that he'd been given his freedom Uh, And he believed it so hard that he wanted to, you know, just speed it along. And in the last days before he left, it was made expressly clear just how little uh, the amelioration actually was. And he would have been present to see that his dad was killed for for his actions. So he was probably, when he was sent away, a broken man. Mm. Uh, The rebellion may have failed but it was latched onto by the abolitionist movement as proof that amelioration would not be sufficient and within a decade slavery was illegal in all British colonies so we can hope that Jack in St Lucia was freed at some point although I can never confirm that he Mm. may have died the day he got there it it may have been a case of we'll send him away so we don't make another martyr well I
1: mean St Lucia is sort of like a whole other level of brutal sugar plantations isn't it Mm. Guyana sounds like a sort of fairly relaxed place compared to what you traditionally hear about the plantation. Anyway, carry on. John Murray. um,
0: John Murray, so the governor who refused to proclaim the new regulations in the first place. Mm. um, He was removed from office the following year and lovely that someone actually got some comeuppance for this because normally the story is, and the person who started it all went on to get get a knighthood. Uh, No, he died in Paris in disgrace.
1: Yeah. I imagine the disgrace was more you made us look bad than, than you did you did wrong things. But
0: Oh, I didn't even mention did I? Um uh John Smith the um the owner? No, no, John Smith he was the uh missionary at the church.
1: Oh yeah.
0: Um John Murray had him arrested as well mm-hmm. and was going to try him as a leader of this rebellion based mainly on the fact of you said we needed to teach them to read. And to, 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 to study the Bible. And now
1: look what's happened. Yeah.
0: And John Smith died awaiting trial. So uh. I think a lot of John Murray's punishment was, you also killed a white person.
1: <laughs> you killed a vicar. You, what the yeah. hell's wrong with you? <laughs> I'm gonna
0: kill all the vicars. Um, so he, yeah, that's that's what happened there. Um, and so, do you
1: remember killing the cows in September?
0: And the other person we need to we need to catch up on because it's very important to the end of the story to tie it all up. Yes. You know Jack's namesake, Sir John Gladstone, the owner right. of the plantation, who <laughs> never set foot on the plantation but was able to argue strongly against any kind of reforms.
1: Oh shit! I know who he is.
0: Well, he was eventually forced to free his slaves in 1833. Yeah. However, this was not done out of the goodness of his heart, and it was not yeah. done to follow it. it I, was, I
1: know exactly how this story ends. Yeah,
0: it was done on the condition that he be paid compensation.
1: Fairly large amounts of compensation. Well, as, well. as
0: he was the largest slave owner at the time, the payout for Empire. him yeah. was over one hundred thousand pounds, which equates to about twelve million today. It Jesus was the Christ. largest given to any former slave owner, and the government only finished paying off all of these claims in 2015. What? Yep, in 2015. And I know what you're going to ask. You're going to ask, well, how was, how was John Gladstone, Sir John Gladstone, the, the upstanding you know, knight of the realm, going to continue to produce sugar if he didn't have a workforce? Was he going to hire a workforce? Was he going to take these newly freed slaves and offer them a union and good terms and conditions yeah. no what he was going to do and what he did was shrug his sho- shrug his shoulders Sell and up. then trick a bunch of indian workers uh. um, to come and work for him by promising them health care education comfortable accommodation all of which was a complete lie he provided subsistence wages um which to be honest could only be spent in shops and things that he owned on the properties yeah, kept him um, drunk probably. Would you believe that this led to further revolts? Uh, yeah and the best thing <laughs> the best thing about it all is John Gladstone's son yeah another avowed anti-abolitionist mm-hmm. would go on to become Prime Minister on four separate occasions.
1: Yeah, Gladstone the only Scouse Prime Minister
0: well, it's a story for another time. So that is the story.
1: Did he of, stay an anti-abolitionist? He never He never tried to bring slavery back, did he? No. Uh,
0: he was an anti-abolitionist, but I don't think... He was shrewd enough politically that he wasn't going to try and reintroduce it. it. He was like his dad. He was like, let's eke as much out of this as we can, make as yeah. much profit as we can, and then we'll move on to the next con. The next way that we can...
1: Um, Isn't com- he remembered as being like fairly like pro-poor? <laughs> I suppose pro white poor is a different matter, isn't it?
0: Yeah, and it's also very easy to be pro poor when you personally are, uh, you know, one Getting of the richest. Elected. Yeah, one of the richest people in the country. Yeah. You can you can toss out a few things that
1: aren't going to affect you that look good on paper.